Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Saturdays with Jenny. Right now we're going to be talking, well, you know, it's something that I love talking about, as you know, and I love talking about just about everything. But one of my, people come into my house and they say, what are all those boxes? And they are boxes of wine. And I do open them. So they're not all full, but they are there. And then and then I needed to <laughs> expand a little bit. So I did. And I've realized that I, I'm not going to buy any more wine because because otherwise I'll never I'll never drink it. And I don't drink on my own. So Michael Fridgen is joining me in the studio. And Michael Fridgen, I mean I think when you talk about wine and when you talk about the industry of wine, Michael Fridgen is kind of, he's it. He just is it and has been for a long time. And I don't really know, I mean, you're, you're described as a renowned wine expert and you're all of that. And I remember sitting between you and, and I'm so sorry, but I've forgotten his name, but he died because he decided to eat. And um, Peter Devereux. Thank you very much. And Peter Devereux. <laughs> He did. I mean, he made that decision. He he had an operation and they said, no, you don't eat. You're going to do this and this and that. And life wasn't worth living. So he decided to eat. Very difficult decision for his wife, I think. I think there were, there, it was more complicated than that. But um, the person who absolutely did make that decision was a fellow called A.J. Liebling, who I have to say did inspire Robert Parker, except Robert Parker, the American critic, is now living with the consequences. And Liebling died in his late 50s. Um, because he ate three very big meals a day on a scale that in the 21st century seems absolutely unimaginable. And his inspiration was a man who in his 80s maintained that lifestyle and um, he had owned a restaurant and owned a theatre. And one of his mistresses ran the restaurant, the other (laughs) ran the theatre, and Liebling said he thinks he died because once he gave up the restaurant and the theatre, he had to go back home. When he went back home, the one that his wife wasn't good at was cooking. Liebling said he had one meal with his friend, and he knew that death was imminent because he said the food was so terrible. <laughs> but whatever the case, I think those are life choices. And um, I'm not sure why you're giving up on um, buying more wine. I've got a whole mission about that. Firstly, the number of people who in lockdown say, I wish I had more wine. So you don't want to be one of those people. And secondly, that um, that wonderful story that uh, Giorgio Dallaccia from Mealis told me of a fellow who used to buy 15 or 20 cases of Mealist every year and he was in his 70s, he stopped buying. And George said, what's the point? You know, it doesn't matter when you die, you will leave things behind. <laughs> but you don't want to be alive and not have wine. This and, is true. And he saw him 10 years later in his 80s and he was a shadow of himself. He said, what's the matter with you? He said, I've run out of wine. So <laughs> for, my, for where I am, a full cellar is a better one than an empty one. <laughs> well, you, you might trip over the boxes. But anyway, uh, I mean, uh, you've just won this award. And I was looking at pictures. And it looked like a, an incredible party. But it, it's the Wine Appreciation and Wine Advancement Award. And, uh, and Michael, I mean, I think I forget how much you do. I mean, in terms of you train sommeliers, for instance. You do. You, there is so much that you do 
in terms of wine appreciation for for ordinary people like myself and you grow through it i mean i grow through it certainly and um but but it's a significant award and i just wanted to say congratulations because you've had a long history with guy fm and i wanted to say congratulations well it's very nice to be here and very nice to be here in the week where the uh, the award was announced it's an inaugural award part of the um it, it used to before lockdown actually happened at Fruit Constantia and it's been an annual event on the 2nd of February because that was the date in 1659 <laughs> when the first grapes were actually crushed from Cape Vines. So it's the, I think we're the only industry in the world who can say with any certainty the exact date on which wine was made in this country for the first time. And so this, this ceremony is an annual event and it celebrates the people who have made a contribution to an industry. And this was the inaugural award for wine education and wine advancement, which I think also includes the idea of spreading the message, um, and which is something I have been doing for, I worked it out the other day, probably, well, certainly over 40 years. I think I may in fact be the longest running weekly wine columnist writing in mm. English in the world. So that's not necessarily something that proves anything other than that I'm lucky to have family longevity. <laughs> well, yes, your father, you know. Uh, but but you, you also, which I didn't know, was uh, are the visiting professor of wine business at the University of Cape Town, where you also direct the Wine Judging Academy. You know? I do wear many hats, um, which I suppose is when your hair thins, the more hats you wear, the better. Your hair hasn't thinned <laughs> notably. It's changed colour. It, that it's done. And um, my 18-year-old son is beginning to notice the occasional uh, grey hair. <laughs> and I've explained to him that with a little bit of luck, he will look distinguished before he looks old. <laughs> <laughs> but, Michael, I mean, this is, this is just a, a sort of a long lead-up to... Uh, first of all, congratulating you, because I think it is fantastic. I think it's wonderful to be recognised. But the other thing is the industry that, that we both love so much and that we both care about so much, there is no way it is not in crisis at the moment, even though restaurants are open for an hour later and you can now drink wine in the restaurants. Some of the restaurants don't even have money to go and buy new stock. So they're saying, just bring your own wine until we've made enough money to go out and buy our wine again. This has to be a crisis. It's a huge crisis, and it's the hospitality industry, obviously. And the hospitality industry, and we are, as we know, a country of many parts, and not all those parts are in unity with each other. But by way of an example, the Western Cape's hospitality industry is hugely dependent on overseas visitors. And they come for a particular season, which is, I suppose, October to March. And so the industry did have a pretty good run in 2020. The lockdown came, but the people who had been committed to coming to South, South Africa had been there until certainly February, maybe early March. So they had a pretty good run. They go through a very long winter with not a lot of activity. Restaurants like La Colombe, which I think certainly now is probably the best restaurant in the country mm. and world class by any standard, runs a winter menu, which is five or six courses for 500 rand, which is a lot of money if you don't have 500 rand, but the same menu in Europe would be 500 euros. And that's how it survives through winter because people aren't paying 
the international prices. It then needs to have that international contingent to keep it going. They're not there. Come October, November, a few people made their bookings. But if you remember, the borders were officially closed to tourism until quite late last year. And then just as we get into December, the beaches get closed. There's a second wave. There's a real surge. And so for the Western Cape that depends on hospitality and the wine industry, the number I've been given is that roughly 30% of the revenue into the net revenue for wine estates comes from that hospitality component, the tasting room, the restaurants, the, the various activities that you can do on a wine estate, all of which now have been locked down for some time. Mm. So if it's hospitality, it's a big deal. It's affected Johannesburg in one way. The impact now on the Western Cape is considerably more serious because it also includes the impact on the hospitality component of the wine estates. But the other crisis for the industry is simply that we've lost over 20 weeks of trading mm -hmm. in less than 12 months. And the surplus of uncommitted wine already made is in the order of 300 million litres, which is roughly the size of an annual export. And the problem of that is that the growers who do not make wine, they grow grapes and sell the grapes to the winemakers, are going to have no one to buy their grapes because the people who bought them last year are still sitting on the stock. So what's the way out? I truly don't know. There are a lot of initiatives. Um, we would have had a particular matric reunion group this year, the people are all over the world, this sort of story we've shared on the group, and people who are living in the States and living elsewhere saying, can't we help? And they're getting a hold of friends that they've made over many years in the countries in which they're living and saying, listen, there's a huge opportunity with South African wine. They are trying to place 10 million litres here, 20 million litres. And if that's in my circle of friends, that must be happening everywhere. But we're running out of time because the harvest is now. Mm. And if there's no one to take your grapes, oh the crop is worth zero. It has a shelf life as, as fruit of a few days. It has an extended shelf life if you can get someone to process the fruit. And the problem is that if there's no tank capacity, even if I'm willing to take your fruit on your behalf and turn it into wine so that you at least have an asset, if I don't have anywhere to put it, then we have a massive crisis. I really don't know how much additional storage capacity is available so that the fruit that needs to be converted into wine can at least be kept somewhere until the problem is solved. I, I don't even want to think of the places that can't open again. Um, and uh, family-owned um, businesses, the big ones will somehow, I think, manage. They will, but it's beyond the businesses. You see, the industry has roughly 2,800 grape growers, but we only have 500 sellers, places where you can turn the grapes. So there are over 2,000 people who have to deliver their grapes to a seller and we don't even know who many of those people are because they are primary suppliers mm. we know the places they deliver the grapes to so it's beyond even our imagination give us a wine of the weekend i have not done a wine of the weekend during lockdown because people couldn't buy and uh, and now they're only just able to buy give us a wine of the weekend okay well i tasted a number of wines last week for wine wizard and one wine which may in fact not even be currently available but the current vintage will be was a regular baton for sauvignon blanc 
And you know that I don't often enthuse about Sauvignon Blanc. Here was a wine. The one I tasted was a 2017. It had put on a year or two of age. And it was so much more complex, certainly more rounded, so much more interesting with that little bit of age. So the reason I'm putting it up as a wine of the week is we all think you've got to drink Sauvignon Blanc in the year of the vintage. Mm. Actually, you don't. Mm. A really well-made Sauvignon Blanc from a maritime climate like Constantia has years of life in the bottle. And the Baton for Vakt in 2017 that I had was quite superb. And I'm sure that the younger vintages that are around will be just as good. I'm mad about Kruta Post Salter. Mad. Lovely, lovely wine. That too will keep. It is West Coast, cool climate, maritime. It's got years of life in it. Sweetie darlings, I think that that's just about my show, God, and I'm only getting ready now. <laughs> Listen, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Michael Fridjon, thank you. Congratulations. And just an appreciation of where one of our industries, it's not the only one, of course, one of our industries is in deep trouble and it needs tender, loving care. We'll start with our weekend wine at the beginning of March. So it just gives us a little bit of time to see what is what is happening. But Michael, thank you very much indeed. Saturday with Jenny every Saturday from 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.